Have you ever felt like you're stuck on a fashion trend mill? That you're not sure of what you actually want to wear, so you find yourself seeking out what's trending or what someone else says we should be wearing? Or have you ever felt like the process of getting dressed is more frustrating than it is creative or joyful? My hand is raised high here. I have experienced all of the above at some point or another. So in today's episode, I'm chatting with Nina Gabor of EcoStyles about the process of self-knowledge when it comes to personal style, her personal style formula for finally getting off that fashion trend mill. And we're also talking about how the ever faster moving trend cycle leads to such immense levels of textile waste and environmental pollution. And Nina's talking about the multi-layered impacts of waste colonialism and so much more. You can also watch the full video version of this interview with Nina on YouTube on our channel, Conscious Life in Style. Closed captioning is available for all of our podcast videos for accessibility. And if you're looking for more sustainable fashion resources, sign up to our free weekly newsletter, The Conscious Edit, at ConsciousLifeInStyle.com forward slash edit. Okay, let's get started with this week's episode, brought to you by Wearwell a slow fashion online marketplace and conscious fashion collective, which has a job board and resources for anyone looking to launch their career in sustainable fashion. You'll hear more about both later in this episode and the links are in the episode description. All right, here we go. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nina as much as I did. Sustainability has become little more than a buzzword in fashion. What would it really take to build a more sustainable, responsible, and equitable fashion system? That's what we're dedicated to exploring on the Conscious Style Podcast. Each Tuesday, you can join me, Elizabeth Joy, and me, Stella Hertantio, along with our lineup of change-making guests to navigate the sea of greenwashing and to build a better future for fashion. Hey everyone, and welcome or welcome back to the Conscious Style Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Nina Gabor. As the founder of EcoStyles, Nina Gabor is an award-winning sustainability advocate, ethical fashion speaker, writer, educator, and climate activist. Her work is derived from research and lived experiences in the global South and global North with focus on equity, social justice, and development. Nina has a master's in international development and is a former sustainable fashion tutor in short courses at RMIT University in Melbourne. She coined the phrase, get off the fashion trend mill, something we'll be talking a lot about today, to address fashion overconsumption. This is the notion that individuality and self-knowledge should be the premise for consuming clothing, not fashion trends. Nina, I'm so excited to have you on this show today. I love everything that you're doing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it for a few weeks now. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, the opportunity to talk about, I think, what I can safe to say mutually our favorite topic. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no absolutely. better way to spend the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We have very different time zones here. I'm wrapping up in the evening here and you're in the morning in Australia. Yeah. So the first question I would love to ask you, since this podcast is called the Conscious Style Podcast, Mm -hmm. I was wondering, what does conscious style mean to you? So conscious style 
to me is kind of about choices that are made with the awareness of the effects or the impacts that those choices have on our social and physical environment and also other people. So both Mm -hmm. the sort of short-term and long-term effects and domino effects, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I have so many questions for you when it comes to sustainability and fashion and Mm -hmm. personal style and all of that. But first, I'd love to know, how did you get started on your own conscious fashion, sustainable fashion journey? I feel like I've been on it since I was kind of born (laughs) through happenstance. So it's kind of a long story. So you're sitting down, so we're good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So when I was a little girl, So I'm originally Nigerian, which is in West Africa, but I grew up in the U.S. in Indiana. When I was a little girl, like from age of sort of three onwards, my mom and my brothers and I, we used to watch classic movies from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, you know, movies with Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly and a lot of these sort of silver screen icons. And I fell in love with the style in those movies, right? And as a little girl, I kind of thought that when you grow up to become a woman, that's how you dress like. That's how you're supposed to look like, right? So, of course, later on, found out that, no, that's not true. But, you know, that's where my love for style actually came from, from style icons like Audrey. And when I was a teenager, we moved back to Nigeria. And this was where a lot of secondhand clothes, I think we now know that a lot of secondhand clothes from countries in the global north, you know, get sent to countries in the global south, Nigeria being one of them. So I remember seeing a vintage dress at a secondhand store, these clothes that had been imported. And it was kind of like seeing a celebrity for the first time, because it was like the kind of dress that I would see in the movies growing up. And I was freaking out like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And I went into the store to try it on, but I, I ended up trying on a lot of the modern, sort of more contemporary stuff and vintage stuff. So I ended up mixing vintage with sort of contemporary stuff. I was about 15 at the time. And I guess that's the day my career was born, even though I didn't realize it at the time. But what was beautiful was being able to play dress up gave me a sense of freedom. And I didn't have to feel like I wanted to follow the trends that all the girls in school were following. And I loved it, you know, but something I, I ended up observing a couple of things at the time, two separate events. So one was that At the time, a lot of people used to make their own clothes. So like every other store at the market was a tailor shop and a lot of them were closing down. So people weren't Mm. making clothes as much as they used to. And then secondly, at that time, they didn't really do landfills in Nigeria. So people would dump their stuff in nearby fields, you know, fields that were close to residential areas. Yeah. So it would literally accumulate as mountains of trash. And I remember, and it reeked so bad. And I remember whenever it would rain, the water would wash through these mountains of trash and into like local lakes and rivers that people used for domestic things. Oh my God. Yeah, I remember thinking that is, first of all, I thought it was really gross. But secondly, it was like, that's got to be toxic. And mm-hmm. they used to do stuff like sometimes burn the trash mountains, at least the top of it, just so to reduce it down. So imagine all this stuff is being mixed in. So I remember thinking to myself, this is a major problem. And it made me really uncomfortable, but there was no one I could talk to about it at the time, you know? So 
eventually I ended up moving to the UK to study and work and live, which was phenomenal for shopping because I don't know if you know, but the UK is amazing for vintage shopping. So I continued on that trajectory. And at the time I was talking more about people wearing secondhand as opposed to buying you because there was so much stuff. I had no idea statistically how bad it was, but I just knew that Mm -hmm. why do people keep buying new stuff when there's so much amazing secondhand stuff, you know? And in 2015, I moved to Australia and it was interesting because two months after I moved, the True Cost documentary came out and it literally felt like a sign from the universe because I knew that fashion was damaging to the environment at the end of life of clothing, you know, when it gets shipped to countries in the global south. But I had no idea how bad it was during manufacture. It was mind blowing for me, as it was for a lot of people who saw the documentary for the first time, you know. And that was when my focus kind of shifted a little bit to include the environment and social justice aspect of fashion, as opposed to just mostly being sustainable with secondhand. And it all just kind of boded well because my master's degree that I did in the UK was international development. So it all just kind of fit together. I felt like, I don't know, I couldn't have designed my life better than I guess the universe did. So Mm -hmm. it kind of felt like I was meant to be in this career. Plus the fact that I love clothes all just sort of made sense. And so, yeah, I'm very, very, very grateful to kind of be here and be on this journey and, you know, work and do what I love and be able to advocate for, you know, better systems around clothing and consumption. Yeah, absolutely. What an incredible journey and so interesting how you kind of came at it first from the waste perspective and saw the realities of fashion's waste. I feel like that's quite a reverse of what I would say most people in the global north experience, at least I know for my sustainable fashion journey, I first saw the true cost and the horrible ways that Mm. our clothes are being produced. And then it wasn't until like years later that I learned about fashion's waste crisis. And maybe that's changing because I feel like there's a broader awareness Mm -hmm. in general of fashion's waste problem. Yeah, But I guess my follow-up question for you is like, what inspired you to create this get off the fashion trend mill philosophy or motto or practice. When did that come about and what is it exactly? Okay. So it first came about because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'd look at people and wonder why before sustainable fashion was actually a movement. Since I was little, I'd look at people and wonder why they were buying so many new clothes when there was just all this secondhand fabulousness all around us, right? And so I, was, I started off advocating for that. But it was just the idea that people were stuck in this mindset of the latest fashion trends. I have to wear what... And it just felt, even when I was, when I was really young, it just felt like, why would you let someone dictate to you what you should wear? Because I found so much freedom expression in trying new and different things, right? So I think it was just a hatred for the notion, you know, whenever you pick up a magazine or whenever you go to a blog site or even when you're watching television, you know, or even the news, they'd have a stylist that would come on and be like, oh, this season's trends are. And we're all meant to mindlessly follow what the stylist or what the fashion brands or the fashion industry says we should be wearing that season like automatons. It just felt so wrong to me. 
And as we know, like fast fashion is a term used to describe clothes that are designed, manufactured, and sold quickly in order to stay up to date with the latest trends, right? So trends kind of give fast fashion and ultra fast fashion a vehicle to thrive and to waste and to overproduce. And they do that in the process of making millionaire millions and billion dollar profits whilst exploiting workers and wrecking havoc to damage the environment. So the fashion trend mill is this actually this constant cycle of continuously buying, then disposing shortly after. That's really what the mm-hmm. trend mill is. Because, you know, mm-hmm. our whole lives, fashion has made us believe that we're not enough as a person if you're not wearing the latest trends, you know, and trends used to be four seasons. And as you know, now we have like, I don't know, is it 110, 120 seasons, <laughs> even more. And so it's all because fast fashion has manipulated this notion of trends right? And taking it to now supersonic levels, which is why, again, you know, overconsumption is so rife and why fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world and, you know, a contributor to climate change as well. So when I say that, some people say stuff to me like, well, I don't follow fashion trends, so it doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, well, if you're constantly shopping retail, whether it's online or in person, even if technically you don't know what the latest trends are, I'm like, girl, you are still on that treadmill. <laughs> you need to get off of it because overconsuming fashion is being on the treadmill. And I feel like the whole notion, the whole concept of trend followership is the vehicle that's allowed fast fashion, ultra fast fashion to thrive so spectacularly, as I mentioned. But really, I think the meaning of treadmill has actually expanded and evolved to include the modern culture of overconsumption that we have. So it's not just fashion, but you see the same overconsumption patterns in they're prevalent in food and electronics and automobiles, you know, and so on. So that trend mill concept is about our modern lifestyle of overconsuming. We need to get off that trend mill. And uh, yeah, I think fashion and textiles is a good place to start because everyone wears clothes. So it's a sort of an easy conversation. Well, not everyone, but I think it's safe to say probably a huge portion of the planet wears clothes. So it's a good place to start those conversations about overconsumption. Yeah, totally. And I feel like fashion is the area that we see this trend cycle most, obviously. Of course, we see it with home decor and furniture as well. And there's home trends, but they tend to not cycle as quickly, although I'm seeing it speed up but it tends to not be quite so fast since mm-hmm. home goods are generally more expensive. But we, yeah. I mean, Sandra Neeson in a previous episode, episode 66, mm-hmm. had a great quote and it was something along the lines of fashion is planned obsolescence. Yes, like that is exactly. the definition of fashion because fashion is like what's in, what's out. It's designed mm-hmm. to be short term. It's designed to go out. It's part of the nature of the trend cycle. There it goes in and then eventually falls out. And so what's fashion is obsolescence by design. Yeah. Which I think is really useful to think about it in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. I mean, like you said, that's the business model. And I think it's such a sucky business model. I can't believe (laughs) it's lauded by, you know, huge financial platforms, you know. It's shocking the world we live in today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And for people who want to start getting off of the trend mill, mm-hmm. 
you mm-hmm. talk about how self-knowledge is really important to stopping yeah. overconsumption. So yeah. how can we begin this process of self-knowledge when it comes to our style and fashion choices? I know you have like a personal style formula, so maybe oh, you yeah. can share that with us. Yeah, yeah, because self-knowledge actually feeds very much into the personal style formula, which I'll explain what that means in a second. So know thyself is literally the number one rule for so many things in life, including the personal style formula, right? So the starting point of knowing yourself is figuring out kind of who you are, what you're about, what your values are, you know, what's important to you what you stand for, you know, what makes you happy, what your purpose and mission is in life, and looking at what your goals are, whether they're short-term goals or long-term goals, and letting your style be determined by these questions, right? Let your style speak to these questions. So the personal style formula kind of helps you curate your dream wardrobe in a way that's sustainable and always makes you look and feel amazing because it's crafted just for you, right? The idea is is to have a wardrobe style that you can keep for a long period of time as opposed to following trends. Now, I mean, if you step out wearing, for example, a green dress and it just works perfectly, suits your, your complexion, matches your eyes, and you walk out of your house and everyone from the postman to the store clerk to, I don't know, your colleagues at work are like, oh my gosh, you look stunning. You look amazing. That color is perfect on you. You're not likely to get rid of that dress because it makes you feel good and it looks amazing, right? And possibly brings joy to other people when they see you in it, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's what the personal style formula is is sort of based on, you know, clothes that sort of make your skin glow, make you feel vibrant. And that's that's pretty much what it is. And on top of that, if you get pieces that complement or match those garments in your wardrobe so that you can wear them in multiple ways you can restyle them in multiple ways for multiple occasions then it makes your wardrobe complete right so the way you craft a personal style formula is like i said know yourself (laughs) is the first rule your color palette right you can find out what colors work for you by going on google right there are different stylists or different platforms show you how to find your color palette or you can hire a stylist to help you do that Secondly, your body shape. Now, this is slightly controversial because some people like the androgynous style and don't follow the traditional sort of old school rules about dressing for your body shape, which is absolutely fine. But what I say to people is when you know yourself, you kind of just work out what works best for your body shape. You know, are you more, you like clothes that are, like I said, androgynous, then tailor your style to that, right? If you like clothes that are feminine and you want to go traditional, tailor your style to that. Whatever it is for you, just figure it out and then add your color palette to it. Now, third is where knowing yourself comes through strongest, which is your lifestyle, personality, and intuition. So whatever your lifestyle is, if you're someone who has a nine to five job and then you go to the gym after work or you go for drinks with friends on a regular basis, you want a wardrobe that can accommodate all of those things, right? If you're a mom with three kids, which means you might have a a job as well. And then you're taking kids to soccer practice. You're going to PTA meetings. You're doing family stuff, but you want to be stylish. And you also have a style that speaks to that. But intuition, I always say like, we sort of inherently know what we want style-wise and don't need people to tell us. I'll give you an example. I've known people who are like tattoo artists that 
whenever they're bringing a certain color to someone to tattoo them, the person would just like, they'll have this like innate sort of flinching if it's the color that they're opposed to. Right. So I feel like we kind of innately know what works for us. We just kind of need to tune in a little bit and listen to that inner knowledge, right. Of what our, so I say our body wants or whatever. Right. So when you combine those three elements of color palette, body shape, and self-knowledge, you get your personal style formula. Right. And you're like, that's when you have the clothes that you're going to keep for a long time and restyle in different ways because they just work perfectly for you. You know, it's not a wardrobe that's trying to be like Jennifer Lopez or trying to be like Billie Eilish or whatever, (laughs) whoever or whatever influencer you follow. It's one that's made just for you. Right. And that's when you get people. It's not about what people say, but sometimes one of the things you hear when you do that is, oh, my gosh, I just love your style. You always look amazing. And it becomes effortless after a while, right? So yeah, that's that's pretty mm-hmm. much what a personal style formula is. Yeah, that's amazing. And I really love that emphasis on instinct because I think that many of us can relate to that, like trying yeah. something on, whether it's something that we bought or something we're trying on in the fitting room. And it's just like, it doesn't work. Or it feels amazing and you're like, this feels So me and Mm -hmm. often the pieces that are hanging in my closet that I don't wear are the pieces that I'm like, eh, not sure about this, but I really need something for X, Y, Z or, but it's on sale or, you know, (laughs) and I like sort of ignored that instinct, which Mm -hmm. definitely I regretted later. So good advice. Yeah, definitely. That happens to us a lot. I can tell you, like I've gone into thrift stores we call them op shops here in australia i've gotten you know with friends and i'll try something on and everybody's like oh that looks great on you you should buy it, you should buy it. And, and inside me i'm like this is not me but everyone's mm-hmm. like it looks so great on you you should buy it and i end up taking it because of that sort of pressure although it's a good kind of pressure but still and then i don't I end up not wearing it. it literally sits in my closet for a few months before i take it to a clothes swap or something yeah no for that reason i kind of don't love shopping with people. I kind yeah. of like shopping alone <laughs> because yeah. I do feel like I tend to be a people pleaser by nature. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if I love a piece, but my friend's like, eh, I don't know, it's like not worth the price or I don't love yeah. it. And then yeah. I maybe don't get it, but I really loved it. Or the reverse happens where I'm like, not sure about it, but like, oh no, that looks amazing on you. That looks amazing on you. And then I just am uncomfortable in it all day yes. when I wear it. Exactly. Uh, no. What's a bad idea? <laughs> I think you just unearthed a really good tip. Go shopping by yourself. I never thought of that, but you are so right. I'm going to add <laughs> that to my list of advice. Good to see you. <laughs> and it might depend on the person, but yeah, yeah, that's just like for me at least. And I do still, I like to take my friends into thrift stores because a mm-hmm. lot of them aren't accustomed to shopping secondhand. So I like to like introduce that to them. But I do think that most of the time, if I'm actually wanting to buy something I do like going alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I totally love shopping alone. Because I mean, for me, it's like my sacred hour. It's like my religion. Nobody talk to me. Okay, this is a <laughs> sacred hour. <laughs> I need to focus. <laughs> That's literally what it is like for me. 
Wearwell is your destination for finding vetted, sustainable, and slow fashion brands that suit your personal style. Whether your style leans minimalist or maximalist, preppy or rocker chic, classic or bold, or you just love your basics and athleisure, you'll want to check out online conscious marketplace Wearwell at shopwearwell.com. You can use the code CONSCIOUS20 for 20% off your first order. Wearwell curates clothing, accessories, and jewelry from trusted fair fashion brands in a range of aesthetics. And yes, they also have a resale program called Wearwell Again, where you can shop secondhand pieces that were sustainably made in the first place. Wearwell goes through a multi-step process with all of their brand partners to ensure they're working with brands that are truly conscious. A brand's conscious qualities could include zero waste or small batch production, major order, employee-owned, circular model, and or BIPOC-owned, among many more. To browse Wearwell's curation, head to shopwearwell.com. That's shop, W-E-A-R-W-E-L-L.com. And be sure to use the code CONSCIOUS20 for 20% off your first order at Wearwell. The link and code will also be in the episode description. I also saw on your website that you have a page that talks about style well-being. Mm-hmm. And I love this because as you were referencing before, the fashion industry and trends thrive on making us feel like we're not cool enough, pretty enough, mm-hmm. trendy enough, young yeah. enough, all that. And and we kind of buy into trends in order mm-hmm. to fit in. Yeah. And so fashion often leaves us feeling very empty or maybe anxious, perhaps with a negative body image. So how do you sort of flip that on its head and instead cultivate a healthier relationship to style and even help your clients use style as a source for well-being to an extent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of like helping them let go of the frustration, and anxiety exists often prevalent within fashion. Yeah. yeah. Style well-being is basically, it's just your personal style without all the stress of needing to conform to whatever the trend expectation is for someone of your age or background or whatever peer group, you know, that you're in particularly, or even media expectations, right, of you, you being whatever demographic you're in, right? So it's just freedom from all of that, really, because you can use your personal style formula to have a sustainable style that totally aligns to you in every single way. And kind of as a self-empowerment tool so that no one will have the power to make you feel less than just because you're not contributing to making fashion brands even wealthier than they already are. So it's almost like fashion brands have done such a good job in breaking down our self-image and our psyche that we have a lot of people even policing capitalism in the sense that if you're not wearing like when I was in high school, for example, this happened a lot. If you're not wearing whatever trend is, you had people that kind of not make fun of you, but you're not part of the cool kids. And it's amazing, phenomenal, even how fashion brands have managed to do that over the years, you know, get people to do free labor of policing other people to wear trends. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting how we protect extreme capitalism in that, in that regard. But I think the important thing is, to let go of everything that fashion has taught us our whole lives. And it's really hard because even since the 1940s, I've seen commercials about trends, be it very, very different the way um, it was styled, but 
this concept has been around since before we're even born, right? So it's like we have to kind of unlearn a lot of what fashion has taught us and kind of start from scratch in terms of our relationship with clothing and build that confidence. And I know it's really hard when everyone in your, probably your physical environment or your community is doing the same thing. If they're all buying fast fashion, ultra fast fashion, and it feels like you're swimming against the tide if you want to do something entirely different. Believe me, I know what that pressure is like. I'm not saying it's easy at all. But mm -hmm. there are ways for you to find your community, even if everyone in your physical environment is doing one thing. You know, you can find an online community. You know, there are always people who feel the same way that you do about an issue. It's just finding them, right? So find your community online or even in person and draw strength from that community and in towards the direction that you want to go in. That's usually what I tell people. And yeah, just do that. Find your community and follow that and just completely let go of everything that you've been told is right to do in fashion, particularly when it leads to waste and when it leads to you doing things that you don't feel comfortable in and dressing in ways that you feel don't really align with who you are. And I think that's how when you begin mm -hmm. that journey, you'll get to a place where you're completely unfazed by any trends or anything else you know and that's when you have like a well-being around your style because it aligns with who you are as an individual and what you're wearing so basically who you are on the inside is being expressed externally and that's such a great feeling mm -hmm. you know such a beautiful feeling of alignment you know to be in that place yeah I love that alignment that's something that a previous guest Carrie Weil talked about mm -hmm. everything that you're wearing on the outside how amazing it is when that's aligned with sort of who you are on the inside. And that's sort of hard to comprehend. You're like, it's fabric and it's a shirt, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like when it happens, you feel it. You're like, yes, yeah. this is who me. I am. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that is style well-being. You know, you want to, you want to have that, you know, we talk about mind, body, health, well-being, but style well-being is, is important. You know, self-image is, we underestimate the power of self-image, particularly in the Western culture. And when you have that, it's just magical. You know, you show up differently in everything, mm -hmm. in all areas of your life. Yeah. No, I have been really lazy about getting dressed lately and doing this podcast and it's on video. So I'm like, I have to like get ready. Yeah. And I just feel so different. I'm like, yeah. I need to record more videos so that I push myself to like mm -hmm. get dressed because I work from home. And so it's very easy just to wear sweatpants, not change out of my pajamas till three o'clock. And you guys are in winter, aren't you right now? Yeah, so it's so cold. So it's also like, I don't want to get out of my cozy. I know. I know that feeling. And I feel like the pandemic has changed a lot of us. So even <laughs> like since the pandemic, it's been hard to get out of the habit of just wearing the same thing every day and being in your sweatpants. It's hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. But when you manage to do it, <laughs> it's so rewarding. It can be so rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just have to get over that like initial obstacle because although it's cold now, I also felt similar in summer. I'm like, it's so hot. There's nothing I want to wear except like sweat short, like, you know, like track shorts and a tank top. Yes. Track shorts and a tank top. That is me right now. You see, you should have seen me struggling to get dressed for this meeting. I was like, what am I going to wear? Oh my gosh. I can't wait. Cause I, I was wearing this really, really, really old t-shirt that has a stain. I think a food stain on it. And I was, just, I was just like, no, 
no, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wearing leggings on the bottom, but like a nice blazer on top. So yeah, you kind of mix the comfort and style. Exactly. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you when it comes to trends and personal style, mm-hmm. do you think there is a way to engage with trends in a mindful way that is can still be aligned with our personal style and why or why not? I mean, the simple answer is only if you know yourself, your personal style, and then a trend comes along that fits that style. <laughs> but really, no, there are other ways. For example, if you rent or hire your wardrobe, because there are some people that they're just in a phase where they just, or it might not be a phase, just who they are, they just enjoy that change. And that's mm-hmm. fine. There's no judgment to that. So they, in that situation, you can always rent or hire your wardrobe. There's so many platforms that have like a wardrobe subscription service. So you get, I don't know how long it is, but I think for like, it could be a season or it could be six weeks or a month, whatever you get, like a package of clothing that you can wear for that period. And then a month later, or after that period of time is done, you can exchange it for another set of clothes, which is a fantastic idea because you're not contributing to this waste. You're just reusing, you know, and you're getting that experience of something new and different. It's like you're getting to explore another side of yourself through an entirely different wardrobe, right? With less waste. Of course, there are some environmental consequences, but still it's not as much as, you know, buying brand new, right? So yeah, I I think it's okay to do it in that regard. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast earlier today with James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, and mm-hmm. he's seen as like a habit expert. And he was talking about breaking a bad habit, which I was thinking of with my work, maybe yeah. leaving behind fast fashion or the fast fashion mindset, at least, and not over consuming. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that sometimes the easiest way to stop a bad habit is to find a replacement. Yeah. And although that might not be like the most sustainable and perhaps the best long-term solution, Mm -hmm. I do think it can be a viable next step for someone who's very hooked on shopping fast fashion all the time to do something Mm -hmm. like rental or shopping perhaps at a similar pace at secondhand. Again, I don't think that's like necessarily long-term developing (laughs) a super healthy relationship with our clothes in our closet. But if that replacement is like what is most successful to that person at that time, and then maybe they continue on their journey. Yeah. That, I don't know. It's something to consider. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think maybe it's just baby steps towards ultimate change. You know, it's still better than continuing on their habit of shopping addiction to do it in a way that they're, you know, a secondhand. But yeah, I feel like we need counselors in the fashion industry (laughs) for fast fashion addicts. You know, you know, you have people, counselors that help people with smoking addiction or a food addiction. We need that in fashion on a mass scale. Yeah. Another career choice consideration for those people aspiring to change careers. But I think you're right. It's not a long-term solution. And, but I feel like with the sustainable ethical fashion movement, it's growing and evolving. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of proud of the movement in the sense that, you know, it being a global movement, we're constantly finding new ways, new concepts, new things are coming up, new solutions are coming up for these issues 
So it's just it's just great. I'm I'm just excited about the time when all of these voices will be amplified or will become mainstream. Or rather, all these solutions will become mainstream, if you know what I mean, because it's just getting stronger and stronger every year. So hopefully we'll get to a place where whether it be it through legislation or just through a change in this in culture, a shift in culture where that way of shopping, that way of being, that way of existing, that lifestyle isn't really a thing anymore. And maybe I'm dreaming too big, but yeah. <laughs> no, I would love that future as well, for sure. And I wanted to loop this back with something that you were talking about at the beginning with the waste, like the impact of fashion's waste crisis and waste colonialism and how that connects to trends and this constant cycling through of mm -hmm. the latest, trendiest garments. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit more about the impact of this massive amount of textile waste on many countries in the global South? Yeah. There are several impacts. I think the three or four major ones, rather, is obviously the environmental environmental pollution, the economic impact, and health. So I'll just break it down really quickly. So the environmental impact, I think by now most people have seen documentaries or read articles about, particularly like in Ghana, for example, how clothes that are imported from the global north, they end up polluting the streets on massive levels and the beaches, the oceans, right? The mountains of trash. And the amount that's being exported into the global south is so enormous. I feel like these countries, they can't really handle those levels of waste anymore. So basically, we're just shipping our trash, right? And it's causing environmental pollution to a scale that's so unjust and so unfair to people in the global south because in the first place you know we're mm -hmm. taking the resources from the global south to make those products right and then we're using labor from the global south and then we are dumping the waste back to them you know and then secondly there's health right so earlier when i mentioned for example the water runoff from rivers and lakes and a lot of that contains toxic chemicals from fast fashion so there's health implications in that you know i also mentioned that they burn to reduce the trash they burn it and you have like fashion mixed in with like sometimes electronics and stuff like that and burning these products releases some I mean, some of the most toxic chemicals known to man like dioxins and furans and we know for a fact that you oh. know fast fashion has so many chemicals already that are put in during manufacture that can cause, you know, asthma, liver and kidney damage, you know, as well as weakening the immune system. We have things like, you know, chromium and phthalates and PFAS and also lead and brominated flame retardants, which is a noble, it's a noble idea to have flame retardants in clothing. I don't know if they were designed for this, but they're used for like children's pajamas you know, so if a house catches fire, they don't burn as quickly, which is fantastic. However, some of these chemicals are banned in Europe and because they change thyroid functions, you know, and shift the way the body processes fats and, and carbohydrates. And, you know, and there's also research linking bromates to ADHD as well as other things. So there's just a lot that we're beyond sending our trash. There's just so much more impact. And then, you know, also, of course, the economic impact on these countries. So 
a lot of these countries, they have a nascent fashion industry. And because we're shipping super cheap secondhand stuff, it doesn't allow their fashion industry to kind of grow and thrive, you know, because I saw, you know, so many tailor shops closing down and these are local fashion designers where their creativity, this would have been their creativity, their career, their passion, you know, and all that just gets washed out. And even people who go to tailors to make their clothes, just that joy of like making something for yourself or having something made just for you, just for your body shape. You know, there's a loss in that art. And economically, I don't think we can fathom how much the cost of, or rather the loss, financial loss that countries in the global South are missing out on in terms of their Mm -hmm. fashion industries because of exported secondhand trash. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, we just possibly can't fathom that. And it just makes me really sad for those reasons Mm -hmm. I mentioned, you know, designers who, you know, it's their dream to be a designer, but they just can't make it work because everyone is buying super cheap stuff that they don't even care about. You know, it's incredibly sad. Yeah, it's a bit of a loss of the art form, which Mm -hmm. would be really sad to see. And that's what I'm excited about with the slow fashion movement, but Mm -hmm. we are up against a lot (laughs) for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I feel like you have a very unique perspective having lived in Nigeria, the US, the UK, and now Australia. So I would be very curious about, from your perspective, what sorts of connections do you see between all these systems and all the realities in the various countries around the world? Yeah, there's definitely a strong connection between colonialism, or shall I say neocolonialism, and waste is basically a take-make-waste system loaded with the highest levels of inequality and exploitation of the global South imaginable, right? So to break it down, when it comes to taking, countries in the global North steal or take resources from the global South at incredibly unfair prices. You know, there's a lot of inequality there through trade deals or whatever, they're able to do this. And basically countries in the global South don't have a choice. And then there's the make part. So they make it mostly in the global south through cheap labor or even free labor. And we know this because, you know, we know about garment workers being exploited. We know about modern slavery. We know that they're not paid livable wages. Right. And then there's the waste part. So, of course, the goods are sold to countries, to people in the global north who then use it or don't use it at all and then sell it back after they're done with it. After it's used up, sell it back to countries in the global south or even dump it back into their environments as waste, right? So regarding the colonialism factor, I mean, because of, like I said, you know, these imperialist trade deals, some countries in the global South, they're unable to refuse having this waste imported into their countries. And the reason why it's hard for them to refuse is because when they do refuse, sometimes they get blacklisted from trade deals with countries in the global North. Mm And they get excluded from other trade opportunities and perhaps in other industries or other sectors. So it's a bit complicated for them to just say no. Although some countries have said no, like Kenya, Rwanda, technically Nigeria said no, but corruption won in the sense that people still Mm -hmm. do it anyway and the government doesn't enforce it. So yeah, it's, it's really complicated. But this happens not just in fashion. It's basically the same system, like, you know, with electronics, automobiles, even pharmaceuticals, you know, between all of these countries, 
and countries in the global south. So that's kind of the connection between these systems, you know. Yeah, and for a bit more on like what you were talking about with the governments trying to ban the import of secondhand clothes, but coming up against issues, mm -hmm. I definitely recommend people listen to episode 31 with Nikisi Sayumaga of the Vintage or Violence podcast. She dove into the details of that. It's it's quite wild, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Do you want to start or grow a career in sustainable fashion? Find your next career opportunity on Conscious Fashion Collective's job board at consciousfashion.co forward slash jobs. You'll find everything from internships to advanced roles and everything in between in a variety of fields within vetted sustainable fashion brands and organizations. You can also sign up for the Conscious Fashion Collective job newsletter to get career opportunities delivered to your inbox every other week. And if you work for a brand or organization that's hiring, you can also submit your job opening. All of that can be found at consciousfashion.co forward slash jobs, and the links will be in the episode description. Yeah. And another focus of your work is on the impact of the fashion industry on women in the global south who work in fashion or live in communities impacted by what the fashion industry is doing. So can you share how things like waste colonialism and textile pollution impact women in the global south and how we might start to shift those realities? So you know how we talk a lot about the issue of garment workers, the lives of garment workers, you know, mm -hmm. especially those of us in the movement, a lot of advocating for their rights. Very little is known or spoken about the life of secondhand garment workers in the global south. <laughs> yeah. So there's this documentary that was done by a network called the ABC here in Australia, where it was filmed in Ghana, and they were showing the life cycle, what happens when clothes get, when they receive clothes imported, and the whole thing, the workers, how it gets divided, how it gets sold, and what happens to the things that they can't sell. I actually wrote a long, really, really long article about it. So it also featured the life of secondhand garment workers. And what was interesting was their lives are almost identical with firsthand garment workers, where garment workers that manufacture clothing, right? You had a woman who had a small a toddler who had to go and fight for clothes so she could sell secondhand, but then she was living in a small room with five or six other women and her child. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting how, you know, women in the global South suffer so much so that we can wear cheap clothes that we don't really care about. Also, mm -hmm. the nascent fashion industry, the development of that causes people to linger in poverty. So, you know, there's loss of jobs as well. I'm not saying necessarily women are the only ones that could be tailors, but a significant portion of women were dressmakers, right? And that's what they're skilled at. That's what they're able to do. It puts them out of a job and keeps them in poverty. Of course, they can find other things to do, but it's not like in countries in the global south, you know, minimum wage jobs are just floating around for people. You know, it's a very different society. So I think that's a massive impact on women. And the thing I... One of the things that I experienced when I was in Nigeria, the time when I was a teenager, when I was about 15, we moved back to Nigeria is that, so I had this mindset. Now don't judge me. <laughs> I was really young. I had this mindset prior to that age that 
women were more sort of feminine domestic and men were the breadwinners. Now, this came from three different places. One, religion that I was raised in. Two, culture. And three, the movies that I watched. You know, I mentioned I watched a lot of classical movies from the 40s and 50s, and that was what they had (laughs) in those movies. So my mindset thought, yeah, that's what women are just grow up to be more domestic and men are the breadwinners, right? So there was this one particular ethnic group in Nigeria that I was very blessed to observe where the women did the physical labor and farming. And unfortunately, the men just kind of drank all day in the local beer parlors. And that kind of just blew my mind. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> the women not only were the ones working to support the family, I noticed that they were putting the ones putting the kids through school. And they were also like doing things with other women, in the local community. And the men just kind of, and then also looking after their husbands. And I just kind of thought that felt so counterintuitive to me at the time. But then it also made me realize at 15 that whenever women have the power or are empowered, it trickles down to everybody in the family and also in the rest of the community. But that wasn't always the case whenever men had the power or the, you know, the breadwinners. And it's not to put down men. It's nothing like that. It's just this is what I observed through this one particular ethnic group. And I was, that just blew my mind. It was like a eureka moment. And I just thought to myself, certainly this is the key to solving poverty is empowering women, making sure women have power and access to finance. And I think that was what inspired me to want to move to the UK and study international development to help that. So when it comes to um, the impact that it has, it's huge. You know, the environmental impact is also huge. You know, I talked about the pollution and health aspect of it that affects women because whenever there's disaster in a country, whether it's economic disaster, whether it's natural disaster, climate disaster, women always bear the biggest brunt of it, unfortunately, particularly in the global South. So all the impacts that we have about fashion, whether they're financial, economic, environmental, they just impact women in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this past hour or so has been just full of insights and takeaways and a lot of food for thought. Mm -hmm. But before we wrap up this conversation, I did have one last question for you. Sure. And before I ask that, I just wanted you to share real quick where people can connect with you Mm -hmm. and maybe work with you if they're looking for a styling service or how they can find you online. Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. Find me at eco.styles with an S at the end. You can come through my website website is basically ecostyles.com.au use for australia or just google me nina gabor yeah that's pretty much how you can find me cool and all those links will be in the show notes as well so you don't have to remember them if you're driving in the car or something yeah. or on a train mm-hmm. and nina the final question that i have for you that i ask everybody that comes onto the show mm-hmm. is what would a better future for fashion look like to you? I think it would be one where by nature, everyone has conscious style, (laughs) 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 where (laughs) the whole thing, the whole concept of trends and, you know, buying all the time is doesn't exist. 
everyone is able or given the space to figure out for themselves what they like as an individual, what they like to wear, how they like to feel when they get dressed, and is given the space to do that without judgment, without pressure from capitalistic ventures or other individuals, right? And then the future also that looks like legislation. So there's legislation around how much particularly fast fashion, ultra fast fashion, or even conventional fashion brands can manufacture. And countries have, you know, limitations on how much can be imported into their countries, how many garments per year can be imported into their countries. And Mm -hmm. we have very strict guidelines around manufacturing so that it's circular by design. It can be reused. It can be taken apart easily and reused for other things at the end of life cycle. So it's as much as possible a circular system. And people just take responsibility for themselves with their wardrobes, you know, whether for how they acquire clothing, how they use it, and very importantly, how they dispose of it. So for example, clothes swaps become a regular thing, right? In addition to op shops and renting and all the other sort of secondhand uh, ways of consuming fashion. So basically at the end of the day, very, very, very little or nothing goes to landfill. That would be a dream. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Subscribe or follow the Conscious Style Podcast for more episodes like this one. It would also mean so much if you could take a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify. This helps our content on conscious fashion reach more people. Have some thoughts after listening to this episode? Let's continue the conversation over on Instagram. You can DM at Conscious Style. For more slow fashion resources, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Conscious Edit at ConsciousLifeInStyle.com forward slash edit. Subscribers also get access to a 12-page roundup of sustainable fashion resources upon signing up. Again, the link is ConsciousLifeInStyle.com forward slash edit. The link is also below in the episode description. Thanks again for listening today. There will be another episode next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can check out our backlog of the 70 plus episodes we've already published. Bye for now and talk to you again soon.